Please pray with me. Holy God, you are just and you are good. Your righteousness reaches to the heavens. You have done great things. Oh God, who is like you? We praise your mighty name. We praise your powerful word. Holy Spirit, open our heart eyes. Help us to fully grasp the truth of 1 Peter chapter 3. Use me, your servant, to speak forth your truth with accuracy and in your power. And Father, please use your word to sanctify us until we look just like our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It is in his name that I pray. How do you respond to the trials and troubles of this life? By looking inward in self-pity or with self-sufficiency or by looking upward to the one who is your source of all sufficient strength. A famous British preacher named Charles Spurgeon once remarked, I have learned to kiss the waves that throw me up against the rock of ages. Spurgeon was well acquainted with the challenges of living in this fallen world. Note the word waves is plural. Known as the Prince of Preachers, Spurgeon was an extremely gifted preacher who attracted crowds of five to ten thousand people at a time. Once his audience was numbered at over twenty-three thousand. He pastored a megachurch before megachurches were a thing. By the time of his death, he had preached nearly 3,600 sermons and published many widely distributed writings. Through it all, Spurgeon suffered. In his 30s, he suffered from kidney disease and painful bouts of gout. He also suffered from debilitating depression in 1856, Spurgeon married his wife, Susanna, and his twin sons were born. But that year ended in tragedy. Spurgeon was preaching for the first time at a large new venue when someone in the crowd yelled, Fire! A panic stampede left seven people dead. Spurgeon was emotionally devastated. He was often moved to tears for reasons he could not explain. Spurgeon also suffered because of his doctrinal convictions and opposition to slavery. Those put him at odds with the leading religious institutions of his day. He regularly received criticism, threats, and insults. Yet even in the heat of public criticism, character assassination, physical setbacks, and emotional challenges, Spurgeon experienced the kindness and the strength of God. Through many different waves of suffering, he endured by looking upward in submission to gain the strength of the rock of ages. That is what 1 Peter chapter 3 teaches us, that Christ-like submission gains God's strength for holy living. That is the truth we will examine in our three divisions, holy spouses, holy suffering, and holy Savior. Our first division is Holy Spouses, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Open your Bibles and follow along with me. 
verses 1 through 2. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. The word likewise refers us back to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 through 25, which speak of the example of Jesus' submission to God's will. Applied to Christian wives, they are to be subject or to submit to their own husbands. The same word likewise appears again in verse 7 when Peter addresses Christian husbands. They too are to submit to the Lord so they honor and give understanding to their wives. This reveals a spiritual equality for Christians. While they serve different roles and functions, God's beloved children are equal in his sight. Women are to be respectful and pure in their conduct. If a woman is married to an unbeliever or one who does not obey God's word, her Christian conduct may win him to Christ without a word. Christ-like submission creates the opportunity for a Christian wife to win her unsaved husband to Christ. The same holds true for all believers. Conduct molded by Christ's likeness preaches the gospel to unbelievers. In verses 3 through 4, Peter addresses external adorning as part of a woman's gospel witness. He says, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart, which with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Now, this is not a prohibition against all external or outward adornment. It does not mean that women cannot style their hair, wear jewelry or pretty clothes and cute shoes. It does warn us not to be obsessed with our outward appearance. And oh, how we need this warning in our culture today. The images flooding social media testify to the vain, self-focused, self-gratifying, self-glorifying obsession that so many women have with beauty. Peter shows us that this issue is not a new concept. But holy women exalt God, not self, through modesty and by nurturing a heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Peter says that such a spirit is very precious in God's sight. Holy women also exalt God by adorning themselves with submission. Verse 5, for this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. Holy women those who hoped in God, those who were looking for his promised salvation, his Messiah. These women adorned themselves by submitting to their own husbands. This reveals God's proper order in all relationships. Marriage is meant to show the world his hierarchy of honor. 
Women submit to their husbands, who in turn submit to God. God has ordained that spiritual headship is the responsibility of men. In marriage, the husband is the spiritual leader. This headship is not licensed for a man to mistreat or abuse a woman. Quite the opposite is true. Christian headship means a man must first submit or be subject to Jesus Christ. Then he is to lovingly exercise his divine authority under the lordship of Jesus Christ. In Ephesians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul focuses on a husband's responsibility to love his wife as Christ loves the church. And Christ so loves his church that he willingly went to the cross to sacrifice his own life to redeem her. This was God's will for him, and he fully submitted to his Father's will. In verse 6, Peter gives the example of Sarah submitting to her husband, Abraham. After the phrase, submitting to their own husbands, Peter says, Sarah obeyed Abraham, and she called him her Lord. He was her master. He led her physically and spiritually. Because he did, she lived doing good and not fearing anything that is frightening. Sarah felt so safe and secure in her husband's care that she had the strength to persevere in the faith. Although both she and Abraham stumbled in their walk of faith, in the end they persevered and were commended by God for their faith. Peter addresses husbands in verse 7. Likewise, Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Now, I'm not sure who has the more difficult role to play, the husband or the wife. The behavior of a sinful man can make it very hard to submit to him, as Lord. The behavior of a sinful woman can make it very difficult to treat her with understanding and honor. Both men and women need the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ. They need God's strength for holy living as holy spouses. This requires Christ-like submission to God and to one another. Such submission has nothing to do with our worth or status. It has everything to do with God's order and authority. It all flows from submission to God and His will. Believers honor one another and God in marriage through Christ-like submission. God intends for the Christ-like submission of holy spouses to give all believers a pattern for how to gain strength for holy living in their personal relationships. So our first truth is that Christ-like submission gains God's strength for holy living in personal relationships. How does the way that you respond 
to inevitable disagreements and difficulties in your personal relationships reveal your pursuit of holiness. Wives, in what ways might you refine your submission to your husband's headship? How might you apply the pattern of Christ-like submission in marriage to all your personal relationships? And what would change if you wholeheartedly submitted to your holy bridegroom, Jesus, as the Lord of your life? Spurgeon's wife, Susanna, called him Tirshatha, a title meaning your excellency. Like Sarah, her husband was her Lord. She was his staunchest supporter. Despite grave health issues, she supported and worked alongside her husband. She said all of her work grew from her commitment to labor for the glory of God, the good of many, and the promotion of her husband's legacy. The Spurgeon's marriage exemplified how Christ-like submission gains God's strength for holy living in personal relationships. We need God's strength to endure the brokenness of this world. Peter, writing to persecuted Christians, again addresses suffering in the next verses. It is the theme of the rest of his letter. In the following verses, he speaks of suffering for righteousness' sake or holy suffering. That's our second division, holy suffering. 1 Peter 3, 8-17. through 17. Peter's instruction on suffering begins by urging a mutual love among Christians. Living in a healthy Christian community is not easy. It is actually a community of sinners on the rocky journey of sanctification. In verses 8 through 11, Peter gives us specific ways to love well. He says, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless for to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Peter addresses all human relationships in verse 8 when he says all of you no matter how diverse a body of believers may be they are to cooperate with one another and work together in unity to advance god's kingdom believers should all agree on that divine goal it is always god's will for his people to honor christ win the lost and build up the church. Christ-like submission to one another as well as to God is the hallmark of Christian community. The fruit of this submission is that we will be of one mind. 
be filled with sympathy or compassion for one another in joys and in trials. Extend familial or brotherly love to all fellow believers and cultivate hearts that are tender toward one another's hurts and needs. In Christ, believers have the mind of Christ and the humility of Christ needed to be others-focused rather than self-focused. The community of believers in Spurgeon's church was known for their selfless support of their beloved pastor. The basement of his church was filled with some 100 praying saints every time he preached. When asked about the secret of his successful ministry, he simply responded, My people pray for me. Are you praying for your pastors? In verses 9 through 11, our love for fellow believers is extended to our enemies. Though they do evil and revile us, we bless them. This is part of our covenantal calling, according to Genesis 12.2. Believers are blessed to be a blessing. And Peter says believers bless others by returning love for hate, good for evil, honesty for deceit, and peace for turmoil. Why? Verse 12. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. God is righteous, perfect in holiness, justice, goodness, and love. There is no better and no more sufficient source of strength than perfection. And Christ-like submission gains his strength for holy living. It gains his strength to be zealous for what is good and to fearlessly suffer for righteousness' sake. This is what Peter speaks of in verses 13 through 14. He writes, Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. Christian suffering is holy, sacred, and it is an opportunity for a triumphant witness which counters evil with good and cursing with blessing. Because the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his face is against evildoers, we can be zealous for what is good, even if we suffer for doing so. We are blessed because we suffer for righteousness' sake. Suffering is inevitable for all people. Scripture teaches that suffering entered the world as a consequence of the fall of Adam and Eve. While the cause of some suffering remains a mystery this side of heaven, our suffering may come directly from God, from Satan, from our own sinful choices, or as a natural consequence of living in a broken world. Whatever the cause, God uses suffering to sanctify his people. Charles Spurgeon once wrote that there is no university for a Christian like that of sorrow 
and trial. Tribulation is the black dog that goes after the stray sheep and barks them back to the good shepherd. It is important to note that suffering does not and cannot mean God does not love us. Christian, resist every temptation to believe that lie. God clearly and dramatically demonstrated his love for us when he sent his beloved son, Jesus Christ, as the suffering servant to bear our sorrows, our sins, and God's wrath upon the cross. Because he suffered, all believers will share in his suffering when they take up their cross and follow him in this hostile world. This is a holy suffering or suffering for righteousness sake. Verse 14 says that if we suffer for righteousness sake, then we are blessed. Furthermore, we have nothing to fear. Our fear of others must be exchanged for a proper fear of the Lord. We need not be troubled, but verse 15, in our hearts we honor Christ the Lord as holy always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. The temptation to turn inward in self-pity or with self-sufficiency in our suffering must be resisted if we are to honor Christ as the Holy Lord. We honor Christ as holy when we submit to suffering looking upward for how God will use it to prepare us to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. As Peter says, we need to be prepared to defend the hope that we have in Christ. Are you equipped to do that? Responding to suffering by looking upward to the one who imparts his all-sufficient strength to us keeps our hope anchored in heaven and our earthbound bodies sharing the wonders of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Suffering gives believers the opportunity to boldly yet humbly witness to the saving power of God. But apparently some people have a less than gentle and respectful way of sharing the gospel. Have you met people like that? Sourpuss Christians, legalistic Christians, Christians who focus more on the fire and brimstone of God's judgment than on the Savior who lovingly laid down his life to save us from such judgment. They forget that gospel truth must be wrapped up in gospel love. Peter must have encountered Christians who failed to do this. In the last part of verse 15 through verse 17, he instructs them to share the gospel with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. A bold witness with our words must be backed up 
by a bold witness in our actions. Believers must live in a way that shares the gospel without words. This is the same instruction Peter gives wives of unbelieving husbands in verse 1. Believers are not to be reviled for bad conduct, but for good, for their holy living. When they are slandered for having a good conscience and for their position in Christ, the slanderer is put to shame. A good conscience belongs to those radically transformed by the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. Because believers are forgiven saints, they must be obedient saints. This Christ-like submission gains God's strength for holy living. Christians must work hand in hand with the Holy Spirit to cultivate a good conscience that is informed and shaped by God's righteous character. Like Christ, they may suffer for doing good, but this results in blessing from God. The key is to be in Christ. He gives submissive believers the strength to live holy lives and cultivate a good conscience that boldly declares the gospel of Jesus Christ in word and deed. Our second truth is that Christ-like submission gains God's strength to boldly declare the gospel of Jesus Christ in word and deed. Based on the way that you live your day-to-day -day life, how boldly do you exalt Jesus Christ as holy? Which of your words and actions deny him and his holiness. Which specific sins do you need to confess before our loving Lord? When Christians submit to God and suffer for righteousness sake, God's righteousness and all-sufficient strength shines brightly. Spurgeon describes this beautifully he says, the worst days I have ever had have turned out to be the best days of my life. And when God seems most cruel to me, he has then been most kind. If there is anything in this world for which I would bless him, it is for pain and affliction. In these things, the richest, tenderest love has been manifested to me. Our Father's wagons rumble most heavily when they are bringing us the richest freight of the bullion of His grace. Love letters from heaven are often sent in black-edged envelopes. The cloud that is black with horror is big with mercy. Fear not the storm. It brings healing in its wings. And when Jesus is with you in the vessel, the tempest only hastens the ship to its desired haven. Who needs to hear and see gospel truth through your life, through your holy living? Submit to Christ's lordship in every area of your life. 
Christ-like submission gains God's strength to boldly declare the gospel of Jesus Christ in word and deed. Peter continues to speak of Christ's submission to his Father's will. He was, is, and will always be a holy Savior. That's our third division, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 18 through 22. Verse 18, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Of verse 18, Spurgeon wrote that we best bear our own sufferings when we find fellowship with Christ in them. Hence, it is for your strengthening that your spiritual sinews may be braced, that you may be armed from head to foot and preserved from the darts of the enemy, that I would set forth before you the matchless sufferings of the Son of God who suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Peter goes on to say that our beautiful Savior was put to death in the flesh. This refers to his crucifixion and his atoning sacrifice. But made alive in the Spirit, this refers to his resurrection by the power of the Holy Spirit. Peter wants us to marvel at the wonder of Jesus' willingness to suffer and die on the cross. He wants us to marvel at the power of God in raising Jesus from the dead. He wants us to marvel at Christ's awesome triumph over sin and death. He is the conquering king, and his covenant people share in his triumph. The suffering and persecuted church needed to remember Christ's saving sacrifice and God's resurrection power. Christ's victory already belongs to his people, and it is the hope of suffering Christians. His suffering was not futile, neither is ours. His death was not defeat, neither is ours. In verses 19 through 20, Peter tells us that Jesus went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Did you read that verse or those verses and scratch your head? You're not alone. Even Martin Luther was befuddled by these verses. He noted that this is a more obscure passage perhaps than any other in the New Testament so that I do not know for a certainty just what Peter means. And scholars are all over the place about the who, what, and where of these spirits. There are three main interpretations Time does not permit us to delve into all of them, but the most compelling argument is that the imprisoned spirits are the sinners who perished in the flood while Noah and his family escaped. 
The flood was God's judgment against these disobedient people. While the ark was being built, God patiently waited for them to turn from their unbelief. He directed his servant Noah to preach righteousness to them during this time. Peter tells us this in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. Noah proclaimed God's righteous character to disobedient sinners and urged them to repent. Noah's ark serves as a symbol pointing to God's final salvation from all sin and death through baptism. Note that Peter says Noah and his family were brought safely through water. Peter explains in verse 21, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Peter makes clear that baptism is an outward sign of an inward reality. Baptism does not wash away dirt from our bodies. It appeals to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This points to a believer's new life in Christ. Believers are changed, transformed, resurrected as new bodies of righteousness. Baptism corresponds to Noah and his family being brought safely through water because both involve water and both bring life out of death. In Christian baptism, immersion in the water symbolizes dying and being buried with Christ. Emerging from the water pictures Christ's resurrection. Baptism identifies us with Christ in his death and resurrection, symbolically portraying the whole life of the Christian as dying to self and living for and in him who died for us. The sacrament of baptism is one of the ordinary means of grace which sanctify us or grow us in holiness. Believers are sanctified as they continually die to self and choose to live out their new life in Christ. He is the one who, verse 22 says, has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Life in Christ is a life subject to the one enthroned in heaven at the right hand of God. He reigns the king of kings over everyone and everything. Christ-like submission gains his strength to die to self and to live in the newness of his life in us. That gives us our third truth. Christ-like submission gains God's strength for believers to die to self and live a new life in Christ. How often do you consciously die to self? What are some specific ways that you can put off your sins to put on Christ-like character? To that end, 
Spurgeon says that our prayer should be that God be glorified, that Jesus see the reward of his sufferings, that sinners might be saved so that God might have new tongues to praise him, new hearts to love him, that sin be put an end to, that holiness, righteousness, mercy, and power of God might be magnified. Believer, Surrender to the all-powerful, all-sufficient one. Christ-like submission gains God's strength for believers to die to self and live a new life in Christ. Have you learned to kiss the waves that throw you up against the rock of ages? If holiness is your goal, you will suffer. As Spurgeon writes, suffering saints are living seed. Our infirmities become the black velvet on which the diamond of God's love glitters all the more brightly. Thank God I can suffer. Thank God I can be made the object of shame and contempt. For in this way, God shall be glorified. Will you join Pastor Spurgeon, in thanking God for your suffering and for the shame and contempt you receive from the world? Choose to imitate your Savior in his submission to God's will, even as it leads you to die to self. Christ-like submission gains God's strength for holy living. Remember that. Then, Prepare to kiss some waves and wrap your arms around the rock of ages. Please pray with me. O sovereign Lord, you command us to be strong and courageous, to not be frightened or dismayed. O God, you have declared that you are with us wherever we go. You sovereignly reign over everything that happens or does not happen. And you promise to never leave us or forsake us. You are the all-sufficient God. As we walk in Christ-like submission to your will, trusting in your goodness and great faithfulness, you transform us more and more into the likeness of our beautiful Savior, Jesus Christ. It is in his name that I lift our prayers and our praise. Amen.